Hear ye, hear ye. As a new year comes upon us, we celebrate new beginnings and second chances. Some movies deserve a second chance too. And that is why today we proclaim the great movie reappraisal of 2024. So sit back and relax while we discuss a film that many people thought was bad, but you know what? Maybe we need to give it another chance because... We've come back to this place for the joy, for the wonder, for the excitement. We come here to feel joy, sadness, love, fear, triumph. We come here to think and to have our minds challenged. When the image is framed to perfection, when the sound envelops you, when the music begins to soar, we take flight to go somewhere new to remember where we came from, to imagine where we can go. Because in a place like this, everything feels right. Why did it have to be snakes? Get in, loser, we're going shopping. Everything all right? Yep, two corpses, everything's fine. I'm your huckleberry. Get away from her, you bitch! Are you not entertained? You wanna make them an offer? Oh, no, eat your stuff. Oh, eat your stuff. I'll have what she's having. Welcome to another episode of In a Place Like This. I'm Chris Michael Smith, joined today by Johnny Rome. Hello. Nice to finally talk to you about movies and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I did want to ask, was the uh, In a Place Like This, pot, did, did that start after the Nicole Kidman ad? Or? Yeah, it's entirely like an homage to that. I see, I see. The, the power and influence of Nicole Kidman. Exactly. Like, great actress and icon, now icon, queer icon, I guess. <laughs> Oh yeah, huh? Well, I mean, icon to us queers. Yeah. Of course, of course. Yeah. Oh yes, yes, yes. yes. Yeah, Icons to us queers. Like, Did you Because uh, that, that would be news to me like... too. Uh, so tell us a little bit more about yourself. Well, I am a film lover. I went to film school. Um, although no one really liked me in film school because I I was much more a fan of the Muppets 2011 movie than I was like The Godfather. Um, <laughs> so I, I had my reputation. Um, but I'm a filmmaker. I am an influencer sometimes, and I—I'm oh. a storyteller. I say storyteller, there which sounds go. pretentious, but it covers a lot of like it's like oh, I don't have to list everything. It's just I tell stories. Sometimes it's on TikTok. Sometimes it's with the camera. That's good. That's good. I like that. And you know what? Much love for the Muppets. Do I think it's better than The Godfather? Hmm. Tough, well, tough. no. So, so here's here's <laughs> a big situation. Was that there? There was a, uh, an argument I got into about. Um, I, I had said the Muppets could make an incredible Tarantino movie, but Tarantino could not make a good Muppets movie. And okay. the argument with that had mostly to do with um, with the art of parody versus what Tarantino does, which is very homage heavy to a lot of things. And, and you know, as has been either controversial or praised one way or the other. And I just, I, the idea of the Muppets making a movie in the parodied style of Tarantino, ver, like, like that, that sounds amazing to me versus Tarantino trying to make a Muppets movie, which sounds like a lot. <laughs> I'm sure you could make a movie with Muppets and it would probably be good, but it wouldn't be a solid Muppet movie. Sense. Yeah. Whereas, no, I could see that. I can definitely agree with, you know, yeah, Muppets can pretty much c 
cover a whole lot of ground. I mean, I still think they made the best version of The Christmas Carol. Yes. Like, best film version of it. Yeah. And there's, there's a lot more I could say about that, I, but, but it's so much of a ramble, and it's one of those things that, like, people will hear, and, they, and they'll immediately be like, what are your arguments? And I don't want to get into the arguments right now, because if I did, it's just, that's, we're going to be here all night. So I'll have to bring you back on for a Muppets episode. <laughs> Which would be a great episode to you be honest. You could listen. I I pitch I pitch Muppet movies left and right. Nice. Kind of reminds me of a Forgetting Sarah Marshall, the Dracula Muppet musical, which oh, I yeah. wish became a thing because that was that was amazing. So going off of that, would you say the Muppets is your favorite movie, or what is your favorite movie? Uh, the the movie that I cite the most as the one that I, I can always put on, it influenced me, it changed who I am as a person, as a filmmaker, um, and, and sort of defines me. It's the movie that I would hand someone and be like, this to understand me, you watch this, please, um, is um, Won't You Be My Neighbor? It's the documentary about Mr. Rogers. Not the Tom Hanks movie, the documentary. So the, good. the Tom Hanks movie is perfectly fine, but but the, the documentary specifically. Um, it's I just everything I, I want to be in an artist and everything I want to do is, as a person. Um, the Muppets 2011 also has a huge place there, but more, I, I'd say if you're asking for my favorite, it's Won't You Be My Neighbor. I I totally agree. That is a really, really good choice. Like, again, I'm like, I remember like bawling at one of the scenes. Yeah. Like, it was, it was so good. Um, is there anything else you'd like to briefly geek out about before we start on our topic today? Oh, man. Um, did I have something? No, you know, I, I think, I think a lot of the things that I'm really into are like, people say, oh, Johnny, you're, you're only into positive things. I'm like, not necessarily. I really like, you know, The Worst Person in the World is one of my favorite movies. But, you know, I've been, I think lately, I've been using a lot of movies and shows to, like, figure out myself and my own creative path. And so, and recently, my focus has been One Piece, which has been an insane ride. Like, it, 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 like I, I'm 400 episodes in, it's too late to turn back now, but, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's simultaneously validating and very, very, like, it makes me feel self-conscious. I'm like, I don't know, I, it, it's something, something that, um, something that's hard to explain, uh, but I've, I've told my therapist about it over and over again and it's just it's yeah that's my current muppets level fixation is one piece i'll need to get started on that 400 episodes in you say (laughs) listen 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 i would say look they're they're reanimating so one piece uh started in like the late 90s and is still going to this day so it's on like episode 1100 or something um and uh admittedly the pacing's not amazing uh because they have like 10 seconds worth of story split up into three episodes and it's like it's ah. um but the netflix netflix just announced that they're reanimating it like the creator of the manga and anime is re rebooting the the anime from the beginning with all new animation shortening things um and and i would say wait for that because because we we haven't even gotten to the end like like luffy has not found the one piece at where we are currently in the anime <laughs> after like 21 years. So I, I would say wait for that one. Have you watched the... And enjoy the live action. Okay. I was about to ask about that. I heard it was really good too. That one's fun. That one's really good. <laughs> really fun. So I guess with that, we can begin our main segment. I brought you on here to reappraise a movie of your choosing. And you have chosen Scooby-Doo 2, Monsters Unleashed. Yep. The two- 2004 movie. Yes. My, my mommy? You wanna buy a box of cookies? Have you heard the good news? Yeah, there's cookies! You're doing that thing again where you take everything I see out of context. You're trying to make it look like I think Coolsville sucks. No! 
This is tied for the most terrifying day of my life. Tied with what? Every other freaking day of my life. <laughs> you can't do this to me. Who do you think you are? Scooby. Scooby. Directed by Raja Gosnell, uh, written co-written yes. by James Gunn, or fully written by James mm-hmm. Gunn, I believe. Yeah, story story and written by James Gunn. Yeah. Um, which 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 will factor into a lot of what I have to say about Scooby Doo in general with these two movies. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I, I was like, I, I was shocked when I looked back and I realized this is the same guy who wrote Guardians of the Galaxy, huh? Interesting. And also, yeah. like, some really dark stuff before that. Have, have you seen Super? Yes, I love Super. <laughs> so good. Super is, super is, is uh, a hoot and a half. Yeah. I, I never thought that, um, oh my gosh, what's his name? Rain Wilson. Rain Wilson. <laughs> um, could do something like that, you know? I mean, I, it was, um, I don't know, that was, like, the kick-ass before kick-ass. I think I saw it, like, right after kick-ass, because it kept getting compared to kick-ass, but I was, like, I was, like, 14, so I don't know. Yeah, it was, yeah, that was an amazing movie, um... But yeah, it's interesting that he took on this project, starting off with um, the Scooby-Doo movies, the live-action ones, didn't really get reviewed well at all. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm thinking back on the cartoon that I grew up watching, that I'm sure we all did, uh, from the 60s, Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? And all the various like spin-offs and uh, animated movies that came out. This is the stuff yeah. that everybody grew up with. And... I'm thinking back on our the Pokemon episode I did last season where I'm realizing that if something is not necessarily made for I'm saying I'm specifically my generation, we were very hostile towards it. I just remember like Barney when that came out, we used to sing songs about doing uh, very violent things to Barney. Oh yeah, no. I yeah. I, I sang those too. We we, we <laughs> I, I I champion those. Right. <laughs> And I was like, what was Barney's crime basically just being made for children slightly younger than us? Oh, yeah. And then now look at look at like the most popular media uh, uh, now, even among kids is Five Nights at Freddy's, Poppy Playtime, you know, Choo Choo Charles, Garden of Bambam, all these parodies of like um, uh, even the, the Sesame Street parody, um, My Friendly Neighborhood. Yeah. So so maybe there is a connection between between like taking this beloved childhood thing and kind of it up a little so watching this thing that everyone grew up with and now there's this new thing based off of that that isn't that and i can see like already there's always gonna be hostility towards that yeah and but you know what for for me like that's that's the thing is like scooby-doo 2 monsters unleashed should have been the first one that was released it shouldn't have been what scooby-doo 1 was because i think that soured the taste going into this so you know personally personally i think scooby-doo 1 is is fairly exactly where it is like like i i have a lot of things i love about that movie in terms of nostalgia and that's what most people love about that movie and and the cast and stuff but scooby-doo 2 monsters unleashed for me is like it it, it, i'm gonna hot take this feels like you could watch the original show and then watch this movie and it's a continuation which is which is a hot take but i mean with with all of the references all the monsters all the costumes you know like you feel like those adventures happened because you saw them in that cartoon series so to me, that was the um, 
that's the justification of this this movie that doesn't even acknowledge the first movie. I can I can actually I can see that it's not. Um, I wouldn't say that's even a hot take because like the second one felt more like the original cartoon than the first one did. The first one kind of came across as more of a loving homage, but I feel like that was made more for adults. Yeah, I. You know, there are times where with Scooby Doo one, I think it. It felt a lot like I wanted to make this movie about this, like these people who go to this island to solve this thing. And uh, we need money behind it. So let's make it Scooby-Doo because, you know, maybe that'll get it some funding. Like that's the most like it, it feels like Scooby-Doo was slapped on there for the sake of marketing. Um, that and then Scoob 2020 feels the exact same way. It's that mm-hmm. same level of like disconnect from the from the IP, despite it being the characters. Yeah, I will say that it did cement Matthew Lillard as Shaggy, yes. and he was Shaggy for yes. what two decades, and yes. should have uh, should have stayed as Shaggy. Shaggy is yeah. he? Maybe I know for the Scoob re-release, he was recast. He yeah, he was. It was Tony Hale. Um, yeah, <clears throat> no, Matt. It's it's awesome because Matthew Lillard did so good as Shaggy that the Shaggy voice actor was like, "I don't want anyone else to play Shaggy." Um, and I I think that's great. Uh, and Matthew Lillard, speaking of like queer icons who aren't necessarily queer icons, <laughs> um, uh, Matthew in Lillard from uh, Matthew freaking Lillard from Scream. <laughs> Sorry. It's all right. Um, yeah, no, he's he was great. I do. Have you seen Looney Tunes back in action? Yes. That one scene where Shaggy is yelling mm-hmm. at Matthew Lillard for, like, doing such a terrible job at playing him. I love that scene. Did, I wonder, did that movie come out before or after Scooby-Doo 2? It was before Scooby-Doo 2. It was between okay. the two movies. Whoa. Oh, you got balloons. Um, <laughs> yeah, because I, I'd imagine the response to the first one was, this isn't enough like Scooby-Doo. And then Scooby-Doo 2 was like, let's give all this Scooby-Doo. And that's where I'm like, I was, I was reading the reviews on Rotten Tomatoes and I'm like, what? didn't work you know and yeah i i think it's just a matter of the times because i think if scooby-doo 2 monsters unleashed came out now as it is i uh not as it is maybe a couple a couple things to to touch on there's a, there's a lot of trans related humor that's like okay whatever but um but if it came out now i i have a feeling like it would fare a lot better because because of the time we're in versus the time we were in when it was released, you know? I also feel like we're not the only ones who are reappraising it. Like, no. that era has a bunch of comedies that were made for family audiences that now we're looking back on, that they're getting all the memes, all the gifts on Twitter. Uh, the Cat in the Hat is another example. Um, <laughs> yeah, I will say I, the Cat in the Hat people still absolutely hate that movie. They still think it's shit. Sure. But, um, uh uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas is one the that Grinch. people are, are starting to, you know, um, flip on. And with, with Scooby-Doo even, like Scooby-Doo 1, people are like, that cast is perfect. And I agree with that. Um, or they're posting that stupid disco ball skull thing that, like, I can't get out of my head. <laughs> um, but, but that's the thing. They keep talking about Scooby-Doo 1. And they need to be focusing on Scooby-Doo 2, which, is, which elevates every single character. It is a, a master class in being authentic teaching people to be authentic to themselves it is it is it's it's really good like it's the reasons movies exist exactly <laughs> um so when even like the first one it, it also like you said it felt like going back to like just a mystery movie on an island with the scooby-doo characters attached on there there were like a lot of jokes that were aimed towards the audience who were like in on the whole scooby-doo is actually about weed thing uh so how many weed jokes can you fit into a 
movie that is made for family audiences turns out it's a lot it is a lot it is a lot and you know you know you know james gunn is just that kind of person where where it's like if there's a specific joke that he wants to make regardless of anything he will just put that in there and and make it make it happen a lot you know i i still notice it in guardians 3 where there are there are just some jokes that are like all right we gotta wrap this up (laughs) you're lingering here a little bit some of them are not even subtle like at all like the character mary jane and jaggy's mm-hmm. like that's like my favorite name in the whole wide world yeah you know what this the first scooby-doo movie i guess felt a lot like a parody of it but not not necessarily a loving parody at times i think that there was a lot of like he was a little mean-spirited and a little bit you know and there was that whole thing where it was like it, it was rated r for a bit because they put daphne and belma in two low cut of shirts so they had to cgi the shirts up i that is something that is just a story that I've heard a lot of. I don't know the, the actual yeah. credibility of it, so I'm sorry. Um, but like, that's why Scooby Doo Two is so much better. That's yeah. why that way. Yeah, it did, it did come across that way, and even like, I, I'm not super familiar with like how well received Scrappy Doo was, but oh, I, I, for, yeah, I forgot. I about could Scrappy. tell. I could tell that James Gunn uh, did not like Scrappy Doo. No, not at all. I, most most <clears throat> media doesn't really like Scrappy Doo. Um, a lot of other Scooby-Doo medias, I, I've I've seen bits and pieces of. It's always like Scrappy is the annoying little um, little runt of a character. Um, yeah, that first I don't know that first movie is so like. Yeah, I I got I recently bought the two disc uh, the two movie set uh, mm-hmm, Blu-ray, mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I rewatched them recently. And yeah, the first one is a lot of fun. It does have some issues of you know the early two thousands CGI and oh yeah. <laughs> Some of the humor doesn't land as well as it might have back then, but some of it, it's still pretty fun, I, I think. Yeah. The second well, one. It, it was also totally just kind of confusing at times. Like, I I, under, I I get, like, maybe they were like, oh, let's make a Scooby-Doo movie for sort of grown-ups a little bit more, but regardless, kids are going to go see the movie, so it's like, let's have a bunch of weed jokes and also um, Fred saying the word biatch, but then let's also have like Scooby and Shaggy farting in the kitchen, and it's just totally, it's just kind of all over the place. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to say it doesn't have, like both of these movies do have their fair share of problems. I do, but the uh, the hate they got back then, um, I feel is not deserved. Yeah, well, like, again, I was thinking really hard about what if this movie came out now? Um, and in the wake of so many adaptations of things that are much more embracing of the goofiness or embracing of the tone or, or what made the original thing special and those doing so much better than than you know i i believe that there are some examples of like um of adaptations uh modern adaptations that if we made them back in 2004 would be treated like they were garfield the movie yeah. um because that was just the mindset you know but even like i there's this whole thing about for me at least i've seen all the alvin and the chipmunks movies for one reason or another and the first one versus the fourth one people are like constantly tearing down the fourth one but the fourth one actually was goofy and like they they didn't make the C, the cgi on the chipmunks real it was more cartoony and it like embraced the sort of cartooniness of it all uh and i and like that's what I mean. It's like as the times are changing. I, I if Scooby Doo Two Monsters Unleashed came out now, I I fully believe that it would it would completely the the Rotten Tomatoes would at least be in the sixties, maybe seventies for me, nineties, but whatever. I can see that because a lot of like the mid two thousands 
was very cynical. Like, if you had tried to release something, say, like, earlier this year, or, sorry, we're in 2024 now, last year, when they did uh, Mighty, the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers movie on uh, uh, Netflix. Once, once and Always? Yeah. The, uh, the special, yeah. It was, it, it felt like an episode of the TV show, to the point where I'm like, I really forgot how campy this TV show was. Oh, God, yeah. When this movie brought it all back. And audiences were generally accepting of that. And I feel like if they had done Scooby-Doo 2 today, like Scooby-Doo 1 might have been might have been received somewhat less so just because it is sort of a the movie itself is pretty cynical mm-hmm. but to have a more loving adaptation like part two i think audiences would dig it yeah yeah i i even think if they made scooby-doo one way you know if they still had scooby-doo one back then and then they never made a sequel until now and it was what we got um and they just brought back that cast like people would go crazy i mean like twitter already goes crazy every single day for this cast you know it's people's yeah. bisexual awakenings it's people <laughs> you know like like this is the hottest cast ever assembled um this is the white lotus of 2004 <laughs> like at level or, or the knives out rather um yeah that that cast was perfect uh linda cardellini linda cardellini has become Amazing. like a darling in pretty much everything that she's in like she is mm-hmm. incredible absolutely and she was also she she played another character in the scooby-doo universe uh in uh the 2010s show um scooby-doo mystery incorporated which is in my opinion the best scooby-doo thing out there it is better than the original it is better than the movies it is because it's it's simultaneously dark and very like true to the original it is mystery per episode but there's an overarching mystery there's a there's a character who gets like, um, just a supporting character who gets like shot by Nazi robots. It's a whole thing. Like it. Oh wow. And and um and the, the Cardellini plays um Velma's alluded to uh girlfriend in in the series. <laughs> um. So she she ended up staying with it. Uh, and then Matthew Lillard also voices Shaggy in that series, which I think is really interesting. Yeah. Um. But like that that to me that's like the gold standard of how you do a Scooby Doo movie, and this gets very close to that story structure without getting without fully going there and i wonder how much of that was james gunn's idea pushing it up there versus like the studios telling him no tone it back or if it was his idea to uh like that first movie how much of it was his idea to separate completely from um from what we know about scooby-doo and make it a little bit more adult that sounds like something james gunn would do but you know i'm very curious about that production history side you know, because yeah. James Gunn is pretty known for like adapting things pretty well, or at least putting a spin on it that makes that warrants a good adaptation of whatever the IP is. Yeah, he really is. Like Guardians of the Galaxy, I knew nothing of it really before they announced it, and I thought it was like one of the the best surprises that Marvel had given us. I think in its entire fifteen uh, year run. Yeah, like it, it, it's it's really good. Yeah, all three and of he's them. He's really good at writing found family stuff, which which has yeah. a lot to do with with this as well. I wonder what 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 this movie would be like if he directed it as well. Yeah, because it curious. was because Raja Gosnell, um, his his filmography is a little bit. It's kind of all over the place. Uh, I believe he was a an assistant director or uh, or a cinematographer on Home Alone. He was something on interesting. Home Alone. Interesting. Uh, yeah, and then he went on to do like. Some other he did the yours mine and ours remake. Mm-hmm. Um, th- there were some little things here. They weren't like 
I don't think he's ever done anything that's like truly disastrous, but also hasn't really like, aside from the Scooby-Doo movies, I think those are like his big, his biggest contributions to Yeah, his creme de la creme. Yeah. yeah. And honestly, it's not, not a bad thing to contribute, to be honest. No, not at all. Not at all. It's, these movies are, are, um, are, these movies are generally comfort movies for people, but the thing on Rotten Tomatoes that confused me the most was the audience scores for, for both of them. Yeah. So I was like, what is going on with these balloons? Right? Sorry. Uh, they're supposed to... Uh, huh. Is there a birthday happening? No, it's like it's like responding to something that I'm doing. Um, <laughs> sorry. We're chatting on video for everyone at home. <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry. <laughs> um, I'm like, who's who, who's seeing this movie? Who's reviewing it? But, but also, we tend to judge movies... As I've noticed being a movie critic uh, for Geeks of Color... Um, and writing about movies, a lot of people say I'm too soft on movies, but that's just, they give me, like, kids' movies or animated movies and things like that. My scale for movies changes per the type of movie it is. My scale for judging Scooby-Doo 2 Monsters Unleashed is not my scale that I use for judging The Worst Person in the World or Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Yeah. Um, like, like, for me, the new Clifford movie was a 7 out of 10 because it embraced a lot about the, the cartoon. Even though, you know, some critics like were like, no, it's garbage because this, this, and that. And that mindset is a very new mindset among journalists. From the journalists I speak with, a lot of younger journalists are coming in and able to separate uh, or, or understand artistic merit and their specific like enjoyment of this thing based off of what it is without comparing it to like The Godfather or anything. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you mentioned, like, being too soft on movies. Meanwhile, my Letterboxd is, like, very fives-heavy. Yeah. Because I, I also think that... I don't want to, like... I know that... I don't know if you do ratings for movies. I you, you but, I do on, on Letterboxd yeah. here and there, yeah. For me, it's like, well, how much did I enjoy watching this? And because I love movies so much, I'm like, that's a five. Oh, yeah. Wonka was a five out of five for me. I yeah. loved that movie. I saw it four times in theaters. I went dressed up as Willy Wonka. It, 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 it was just that. a comfort, comforting movie. It was, you know, and it's it's not like the best Paul King movie. It's it's not the best, you know, movie of the year on a technical level. But but to me, it spoke to me in a very specific way. I also love musicals. And, and it also kind of encouraged me to like to not give up on something like the like I find a lot of meaning in movies and I, I internalize that deeply. So um, I, I'm like looking back at like how poorly Monsters Unleashed, uh, Monsters Unleashed was uh, received at the time. It grossed less than the first one. It fared mm -hmm. less well than the first one on Rotten Tomatoes, on IMDb, and on Letterboxd, which I'm like baffled by because I thought at the time people liked it more. Or, I think generally people liked it more, yeah. yeah um, I, and even now, like, my friends who are Scooby-Doo fans are like, yeah, Scooby-Doo 2 is a lot better than Scooby-Doo 1. Again, it's just perception, you know? The, yeah. the kids aren't the ones making the scores. It's the parents, and the parents have this belief that, that oh, this movie is not good enough because blah, 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 it's a kid's movie. Yeah. Um, and I, I, you know, if kids had if kids had Rotten Tomatoes accounts, boy, that thing would be <laughs> through the moon. Best, best reviewed movie of the 2000s, one of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I weird moments aside there there's some yeah. moments that i'm like all right well yeah it even got like it got like a razzie for worst remake or sequel that's, and, eh, that's dumb i think the razzies as a whole are canceling. very destructive and stupid honestly like yeah i'm like getting less and less inclined to uh have patience for like worst of lists because like making movies is hard 
Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't know. Like, they, a lot of the movies that they beat up on are movies that already got beat up on in the box office. Yeah. And it's like... People need to hear all that. Yeah, it's like, it's it's fine. <laughs> I also put on my notes, why does it deserve a reappraisal? I feel like we covered that, unless there's something else you wanted to add to that. I, I wrote my own, as I was watching the film, my own little things. There's... There's just so much about this movie that that is so, like, I... Ah, okay. So, from a source material standpoint, like, the, the stakes in this movie, I think, are a lot more interesting. You know, the experience of seeing these monsters actually come to life. Uh, they, they were trying to do that with that first movie, and a lot of Scooby-Doo movies do that, where it's, like, in the show, it's a person behind a mask in a movie. It's, it's like, an actual tangible monster. Um, uh, but with Scooby-Doo 2 Monsters Unleashed, it's, like, what if we took these costumes and brought them back to life and they were actually the monsters, what would that look like? Uh, and, and that is so interesting. And then the stakes of it all, the, the, the cancel culture of it all, I, this, is, this was James Gunn cancel culture movie before cancel culture became a big thing. Um, great Coolsville shaggy arc. Yeah, yeah. Go- Coolsville feels like its own place. Like, it, like it, it felt like Gotham. It was like, you know, the Coolsville Smithsonian Museum or whatever. Then there's the, like, like, Coolsville felt like its own community. It's also just, it knows what it is. The, the, the MacGuffin like, uh, uh, element in the movie is randomonium, which is amazing. Um, you know, there's this, there's a great score with a great soundtrack, like the do, 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 like they, they instrumentalize that. It's so good. Gosh, just so it's, it's so cool. And every character has its moment to shine. You know, they, they did that with the first movie. Sure. But they capitalized on it here. Every character has this very specific arc that goes about them that relates to how Shaggy and Scooby feel. Like I, this is this movie is so much more than anyone could ever have said that it articulated back then, and that's why it deserves reappraisal. Because now we have the vocabulary and media literacy to understand the true masterpiece of Gosnell's, uh, no, Guns and Gosnell's story. Yes, I can, I can definitely see that. And especially now today, we're like really appreciating that sort of thing. Now we're like everything, everything, everywhere all at once was like one of the most beloved movies from last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, critics loved Bottoms it. Bottoms as well. Oscars. Bottoms this year was, was very well received, which is I very need, campy. I need to see that one still. I heard it was so good. It, it's a hoot. It's a yeah. hoot and a half. Um, yeah, so we're more accepting of that uh, these mm-hmm. days. And yeah, I agree with you. Like, it deserves a reappraisal. It deserves to be viewed from today's lens. Because even the, the set and costume design, yes. like, like everything we're saying about Barbie, we could be saying about Monsters, uh, uh, Scooby-Doo 2 Monsters Unleashed. Yeah. Because the, the, every single costume is a banger. It coordinates with the colors. Every single set, the, their actual, like, mystery ink, headquarters is amazing but then also their little treehouse that they go to uh at the all is lost moment is amazing like it it's just everything builds into a symphony of like here's the cartoon on a silver platter like that's what i expect from james scott velma's uh body suits the... now hang on now there's 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 an issue <laughs> i i think that's stupid but um but also i i think it also relates a little bit to daphne's arc which um and and the thing that she has trouble with with herself through this movie even though she seems very confident i be- i firmly believe that daphne daphne a carries this movie if you watch this movie yes. daphne is just giving advice helping people out making people feel emotionally safe but daphne also has like daphne has this obsession with image so much so that in this movie she constantly flounders on her confidence when she confronts the reporter she like she knows it's her right but then this thing happens and then suddenly oh flounders the image right uh uh 
she she doesn't do enough to stop Fred from talking to the news. She she gives Velma this advice that didn't end up working out. Like there is a confidence issue within Daphne uh, and her own image throughout this whole movie. Um, and that that's it's that way for all the characters. I, I wrote I did write this out. I did do a lot of like yeah. I was like, what if this was this? Like I, I you know. Even Velma, like, realizing she didn't have to do all of that because uh, Seth Green's character liked her for who she was. Yeah, well, Velma's whole thing is she's she's so insistent on asking questions that she's she's so scared of, like, not having an answer, not not knowing what's going on. Um, and that's, like, her, her Marsha throughout this movie. That's why she can't trust people. That's why she feels insecure in herself because she doesn't have answers for how she's feeling. What have been some of your favorite gags or scenes in the film? Uh, one of my favorite scenes, the, the treehouse montage scene, they've just figured out everything and they start playing this very 2000s on that. Here we go, it's time to show I'm not a loser. Um, that's, that's great. Uh, that whole final battle, like, like with all the different monsters fighting yes. different members of Mystery Inc. and then them coming together at the end. The bar was cool. I just like seeing the museum in the beginning with the, with yeah. the pterodactyl ghost in general um great moment with uh with old man winkles the the guy who they suspect is behind all this for the for the first part of the movie um where he like this is and this is to me him saying the theme of the movie where the the gang is talking or scooby and shaggy are undercover they're talking to old man winkles and he's talking about how everyone in that bar needed people to believe they were different than who they were maybe because they didn't believe that that they were um maybe because sorry here's the the quote is we needed people to believe we're different than we were maybe because we believed there was something wrong with who we were in the first place and the thing is that specific saying relates to the entirety of mystery in this movie yes every single one of them is having an issue with believing in believing in there's uh with them all believing there's something wrong with who they are as as they are so much so that they are doing these things to try to shaggy wants to look like a hero yeah. daphne uh daphne wants to have that confidence right velma wants to wants to like feel secure about it and fred fred just acts before thinking a lot yeah. in this movie and, and and he shoulders the responsibility of the group in that way you know and and he really i think blames himself throughout the movie this movie is just there's not a single plot hole everything comes back together yeah. thematically rich i remember i worked at a I used to work at a movie theater uh, when this movie came out. Uh, I'd have to wait for all the credits to finish rolling so I could, like, clean up afterwards. And there is a post credit scene in this film. You would think it would be building up for a part three. There was a planned part three. It got canceled because the yeah, movie didn't do Yeah, which I love well. the story for. I yeah. love the story for part three, but they, they would never go through with it. This post credit scene, it just shows Scooby. He's playing on a Game Boy Advance, and it's a video. It's the tie-in video game that he's playing. And he points oh, yeah. the he points the Game Boy Advance to the screen and goes Game Boy Advance secret code and it was like a passcode he put in there that I forget what it does in the actual game but I'm like yeah well, I remember that game I remember the game did did they make a DS version of that game because I think I had a version of that game for the oh they might have made the Game Boy version and I just did the DS you could slide the Game Boy game yeah, that, yeah, I thought that was kind of a cool little thing to try to get you to buy the merchandise that go, that went yeah, with it. Yeah, the product placement in this movie is kind of the Burger King stuff is is uh, very on the nose. Although the in the uh, if you watch the movie on a sh is it on Max probably because uh, it's it's Warner Brothers. Um, when you watch the movie on Max, they actually I, I saw this on Twitter. I don't know if it's still the same, but they changed the cup to like Arby's or something. 
because I, I guess the product, I'm, I'm like, how did they do that? Cause I watched the, I watched the version that was just on that I bought, you know, but I remember on Twitter a year ago or so ago, someone was watching it and they were like, did they, I'm crazy, right? This used to be a Burger King cup that Scooby's sucking on in the beginning, but I, in the, in a streaming update, I guess they, they changed it. I would believe it. It's like the same way they change like opening themes to some songs like yeah i guess when party or not party when dawson's creek was on netflix they didn't use i don't want to wait and i'm like well what's the point then if you're not <laughs> going to use that song yeah that uh or even like there there's a lot of censorship within within yeah. the, the streaming world that isn't worth getting into but and copyrights I'm currently and stuff like as that. someone who's watching bluey i'm upset that i cannot watch episodes of bluey because the u.s disney plus doesn't deem them appropriate um which is like kind of crazy. That's weird. well, okay. There's one episode about Bluey, Bluey's aunt, like not being able to have kids, like she's infertile, and they kind of like touch on that a lot. Um, and I guess that was deemed a bit too much for kids, but I don't, you know, I, I don't like, know. Bluey is life changing. I don't know, kids. I, I think a lot of times whoever makes these decisions uh, undermines the fact that kids do end up having to experience trauma sometimes, and mm-hmm. like that. A lot of the um, the shows and TV that we cons- and movies that we cons- consumed then and even now, they don't really address that or like teach. There's nothing to really teach anyone how to like cope with it in a healthy yeah. way. Yeah, and everything that we learned when we were kids through Mister Rogers, through uh, maybe the Muppets, through Frog and Toad, through Winnie the Pooh, like I, everything that I do as a filmmaker as a storyteller i've i've come to realize that the 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 thing i like to rely on to tell stories is childhood influences because i think a lot of my stories are about reminding us as adults that you know that we still have to learn and that we still have to be curious and the minute we stop doing that is when we start feeling stuck with who we are um and that's that's a lot of like what my my stories are um uh, and and they embrace those different things, you know, uh, like um, or well, I won't get into it, but they embrace those those different um, those different sort of avenues. And in that, you know, like I'm trying to think about what the and this is admittedly me putting too much meaning on it. What was the point of Scooby Doo in general? You know, um, it, it was just a fun little little uh, show about um, about solving these mysteries. But for me, it didn't hit until um, until Scooby Doo Mystery Incorporated. When when you re- when they really bring these characters to I believe their fullest potential, where um, where we see their parents and we understand that there there's a level of just trying to trying to genuinely always find answers and always finding answers within each other uh, that that gets them out of their their predicaments. Um, they they also explore a lot of trauma in Scooby Doo Mystery Incorporated, which I think is really like it, it's interesting. You know, it, it's something I wish that there's Power Ranger comics that um, that show what the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers like that show their um, them after the first episode of Power Rangers ever them like experiencing trauma and experience it like struggling with that. You know, it's the Spider Man thing again. I'm getting way too deep into it, but there, there's a lot to interpret from these things, and I think Scooby Doo has always been something that has never had the boldest meaning so with scooby-doo 2 monsters unleashed that theme of like even the villain saying you know mystery ink will be unmasked you know and velma saying like the comfort she finds in mystery solving is that at the end of it all there's always some shrivelly guy behind a mask but now she's the shrivelly guy like that dialogue plus the thing that the old man says at the bar um plus like like leading into what 
the ultimate point of the movie is I realized that Mystery Inc. is not much different from the monsters that they, the, the criminals that they unmask. And they have their own masks, and it's it's sort of working on tearing those down with each other and with um, with everyone else overall. I can agree with that. That that was really well put. Like, I think we're in agreement. Scooby Doo Two: Monsters Unleashed deserves a reappraisal. Deserves to Definitely. be viewed today from today's lens. Definitely. Let's re- we need to review the the. I I'd say if it, if it was reappraised today, we there, there should be that sort of Disney warning disclaimer. Of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The 2004, because I don't know how I feel about the whole ending and it, it being like a man who was dressed as a woman the whole time. And, and then they make a joke about like the camera guy cuddling, uh, cuddling that character. Um, that said, the way that Scooby-Doo won was the bio awakening because of the cast. Shaggy with like in it, when he drinks the potion and, and he suddenly has a woman's body, I think also awoke something in me. And I'm non-binary now, so I be- I don't listen. These two movies might have just completely shifted how I how <laughs> I perceive identity. Nice. Some of our some of our listeners have suggested a couple other movies to reappraise briefly. Rich Ferrando on Twitter has stated that Pixar's The Good Dinosaur was unfairly maligned. If this movie had come out in the 80s, it would be listed among our traumatizing childhood favorites. I can I can see an argument for that. Like, I liked The Good Dinosaur. Yeah, I did too. I, I think its biggest problem was that it was not just Pixar's follow-up to Inside Out, but it came out only, like, a couple months after Inside Out. So it was like, it already had the shadow of, like, a much better movie looming over it. Mm-hmm. It also... It was a very simplistic movie. There wasn't much of a B plot to it. Yeah, but I mean, most most uh, some of our favorite movies are yeah. like very simple movies. Um, I I I agree with that comment that if it came out in the eighties, I think it would be appraised differently. And I think mostly because uh, another aspect to this movie is the familiarity of it. The sort of like okay, we've been like we've we've kind of been here before. Um, but there's there's that kind of really amazing scene between the boy and the dinosaur uh using sticks to like determine their family and for me it was like i wonder sometimes there's a movie that's like the creator thinks of one scene and then a whole movie follows and sometimes they can't justify that scene with the movie so we get a movie that feels a little lackluster with a great scene in it that scene is so good that like i wonder like i have i think it's it's the good dinosaur is good it is it yeah. is a solid good movie it's also a very pretty movie yes um and i i i wonder like i wonder what could have gave it that extra edge you know because that scene is amazing but what 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 held it back from being like perceived that way yeah, you're right the release date is a little the being close to inside out which is like one of the best pixar movies ever in my opinion uh probably had something to do with it friend of the podcast taylor b has suggested daredevil i enjoyed it and don't understand the hate. I haven't seen it. I can't. I can't speak to this. For me, I did enjoy it. It was like that sort of early two thousands uh, comic book movie. It was right after Spider Man, and that's probably what hurt it. Is that it had like, again, a better comic book movie sandwiched between two better comic book movies. Um, but still, it was yeah. a lot of fun. I've seen the basketball scene. Um, 
but but that was kind of campy. Two but. movies that uh, two movies that I defend a lot are the Fantastic Four movies from the early two thousands. I think those get like an unnecessary amount of, amount of hate, especially like I don't know. Rewatching them recently, I'm like these are like good enough <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in, in, in my opinion. And I wonder if Daredevil really falls under that that category. You know, I heard Colin Farrell's really good in it. Yeah, he's amazing. And I also during that time period, uh, Ben Affleck, there was a lot of hate going in his direction. I mean, well, it's... I'm, I'm, I, I confused Matt, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck again. Sorry, I was like, well, what, what, he was was he in We Bought a Zoo at this point? But that was Matt Damon. Oh yeah, no, uh, this was like the Gili period. It literally, I think Gili came out that same year too. Oh yeah. So I don't know that movie. I don't know what that is. Sorry, uh, I, I, I said oh like I did. It was that that movie that came out with him and Jennifer Lopez. It was like one of the biggest flops like of all time. It was like so in in when when these movies came out, I was like probably really little. Oh. I'm a two I'm a two thousands baby. Oh, okay. so I, I don't I just don't think I ever saw it. I, I was born in the year two thousand. Oh okay okay yeah yeah oh okay yeah. So I don't know when when Daredevil might have been, but um but I've seen just the basketball it, the basketball clip is not from catwoman is it am i thinking of catwoman oh, catwoman i th- they both have scenes in like one of those like city playground yeah they both have a scene like that i think catwoman was the basketball scene but daredevil has a scene which i think is in a basketball court from what i remember it's like i remember it being very like step up like step up to the streets or something like it, it felt like a dance actually come to think maybe they, that they, was Catwoman. maybe that was Catwoman. they both kind of feel like that though both movies have a scene that's very similar to that but maybe that's why they're great <laughs> you know like maybe that's what like everything i love about the fantastic four movies maybe that's what it is maybe i just need to maybe i'll, I'll give it a, a shot yeah you know, but I, I also haven't seen the daredevil like netflix show i i, I think that uh daredevil is just i has always escaped me somehow i saw him in she hulk that one is more that one's darker um <laughs> daredevil uh, this one is a lighter type of movie i'd imagine so with uh, with with that time period yeah yeah again they were like definitely bouncing off of the success of spider-man and x-men and mm-hmm. yeah tough act to follow very tough but i thought i thought it did the job uh this one kind of surprised me partially because i don't think the movie is poorly received i think it's doing pretty well but it is kind of divisive right now mm-hmm. uh Auden on instagram suggested saltburn the um, one that just came out okay so i have seen this one and and the thing is is like i'm also I, i'm gonna speak about it from the perspective of someone who is always on twitter and also someone who follows the awards circuits there i think there's a lot more love for saltburn than i thought there would be yeah, I think, but 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 people love a vibe movie, and people people love a vibe movie, and people love the headline Barry Keoghan, um, Keoghan, I don't know. I do not. I'm I'm Irish, and I don't know how to pronounce. It. I'm <laughs> but but there's that headline of like he licks Jacob Elordi's off of the bathroom, and people love Jacob Elordi. I I love. I really like this movie. It wasn't one of my favorites of the year, um, but I I I just like when like movies are. Movies can be a vibe. They can be risque. I really hope that it gets a cinematography nomination oh, and costumes God, and stuff. Gorgeous. You know, I love debauchery. So, yeah. like, you know, I think, I think it's still getting pretty well received. I mean, the BAFTAs just nominated Jacob Elordi for Saltburn, uh, or not nominated, but he's on the long list. Um, there's still people talking about it for best cinematography, and and I think there are people who are just like, don't watch it with your parents. Yeah. Um, which which agree. Um. But yeah, I don't. I don't know how many people uh, are on the 
the hater side. Yeah, I, the thing I saw about it was, I guess there there's like controversy because like I don't think it was marketed as a queer movie in particular, but the queer aspects of the film kind of like they aren't central to it, if that makes sense. So I think that might have been like, well, I wanted it to be this movie, but it was this movie instead. Is the vibe I'm getting from the yeah, negativity. yeah. I could say it's 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 like the whole um, oh god are they treating are they treating queer stories as musicals now where they're like we don't want to show that it's a musical in the trailer because people hate musicals yeah um uh, those Wonka trailers man they, they, <laughs> right? they I didn't really know it was a musical yeah and the Mean Girls movies I'm looking at the reviews like they're the social media reactions the Mean Girls musical movie that's coming out this week or next week or whatever is like getting pretty good reviews. But, but people didn't think so because they didn't market it as a musical. It's like, just put your whole thing into it. Right? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like, I wonder, but I think, I think Saltburn hits the very specific crowd, those 824 people who, like, they will see the movie and they, you know, sometimes will, like, there's a lot of projection about, like, uh, characters being gay and sometimes it's really supported and I kind of love that. Um, and yeah, and it's like, what kind of story is it? I I can see why people would feel a little blindsided. I, people were blindsided by poor things as well, being so like um, explicit. I still need to see that one too. The, uh, I need to catch up with a lot of the end of the year movies. Oh man, I, I thankfully got to spend the last like week of last year um, watching, going to the theater and watching some of these movies, uh, whichever ones were near me. I still need to see American Fiction. Um, I, I saw Wonka four times, and I saw like Iron Claw. Which that was that was the fir- the first thing I did um, when I was like I'm just gonna watch movies this month. The first one I did was Wonka and then Iron Claw with no time in between um, as a double feature. And m- might I say, kind of kind of revolutionary. I, I that was the correct order to watch those movies in Wonka and then Iron Claw. Um, and then I called it uh, I called it Clonka. I heard that was good too. I need to see that one. We went to go see Godzilla minus one the other day. That was, that was great. really good. That was amazing. Yeah, yeah, that was amazing. My first time I had to leave the theater though early because um, because someone brought their like four year old child to a Japanese like a Japanese film with English subtitles, so they weren't going to understand it. Aww. And then um, and then there was a group of middle schoolers behind me who were like throwing candy at me, and I'm not the kind of person who's going to make a ruckus about it. I'm like, I'll just come back another day mm-hmm. and see it. That was really good, though. But, yeah, it was amazing. I loved it. So, uh, I think that concludes our... So, that brings us to our rotating segment, uh, Double Feature. So, have you decided what movies you would pair together as a double feature? Oh, yes. I have five. Oh, I, is that okay? Or? Yeah, quintuple. Fe- uh, what's what should I call it? Um, no, no, I have like I have like five oh, pairs. Five double five features. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> um, uh, this one is is probably the most like the most like non contra This is like okay, this makes sense. Iron Man two and Chef, because because Chef being John Favreau's movie about a lot of people speculating about making Iron Man 2 and and sort of his beef with critics or whatever. Um have you seen uh Chef? Yes, yes, it's really good. Amazing movie. Um 
but that that's a such an interesting thing to watch. I I don't quite know the best order to watch it. If you watch Chef first and then Iron Man two, or vice versa, um, for me it's like seeing Iron Man two and sort of some of its blemishes. I think is alleviated after watching Chef and being like, okay, there there's like so much more to the mind of a creative than this. Um, and maybe Chef than Iron Man two because by the end of Iron Man two, you also get to go, oh, John Favreau ended up getting to make this great movie right after and i also think iron man 2 is still fine it's charming um but yeah so that one that one's a good double feature a very easy double feature also i kind of feel like working within the marvel marvel superstructure i guess uh, machine uh has definitely scared away a lot of filmmakers Um, yeah because it's starting to come out nia DaCosta's out here like and and chloe zhao and everyone is like you're not making we're not making our movies we're making a a Marvel movie, a Kevin Feige movie, you know, he ultimately has the the final say, um, and it's a lot to oversee, you know. Uh, so so yeah, absolutely. Within within that Marvel sort of machine, it's a big opportunity, but also, um, but also, the the fallout for when you make a movie that doesn't hit, yeah, is a lot stronger because no one will ever criticize. No, people have just started criticizing Marvel, but even now you see Hollywood Reporter and all these. Uh, outlets being like Nia DaCosta was the reason that this movie failed or Peyton Reed was the reason this movie failed and it's like it no like like the director did what they could do within yeah. the limitations of it you know there were other factors at play too like can't promote the movie and also nope. yeah so it's like the Marvels yeah. and also me, just I, widespread yeah. hate you know also people didn't see the Miss Marvel show as as you know which I, I think is a great show yes um, yeah. uh Matt Pat has such a great like film theory about oh no not Matt Pat who was it Schaeferillis Schaeferillis has a great video that he recently posted about how Disney Plus like destroyed these big franchises and why like and it, it talks all about like how Miss Marvel should have been a movie that then people could go and watch a show about if they want to learn more about but the main continuity of this next era should all be in the movies and then the show should just be bonus fodder. And I agree with that yes. so hard. If Miss Marvel was a movie, I think that Mar- the Marvels would have done a little bit better. Yeah. Some of these are simple, like Iron Man 2 and Chef. The rest of these are a little bit more like they're either thematically similar Ooh. or I just think as just just like perfectly they, they, they complement each other. Um, Tick, Tick, Boom and Love, Antosia. Um, Love, Antosia, the documentary about Anton Yelchin, the uh, Star oh. Trek actor who, who passed. Um because both of those movies are so much about like what's left behind and tick tick boom is about like jonathan larson specifically being like i need to leave behind this great legacy or whatever um so much so that he pushes away his friends love antosia is all about these people this very special creative person's friends all sharing the legacy of this person which wasn't just his art it was who he was as a person and i think that that's such a perfect like upsy daisy of like um of understanding what it means to be an individual and an artist, you know, separately. Um, I love that. One. I yeah. still need to see Love Antosia, but I love Tick Tick Boom. Love Antosia is, yeah. uh, it's tough. Um, but Tick Tick Boom is amazing. One of my, one of my favorite, it, it was a movie that like was so defining for me that my ex-girlfriend texted me when it came out and said, you, I can't watch this movie because it's too much like you. It, it's this quirky, quirky person named Jonathan who at the time of our relationship, we, um, 
there was a lot of uh, conflict we had with me focusing too much on work and putting things uh, aside. And, and we, you know, we worked and we're, we're both in better situations now. Um, but yeah, I, I love Tick, Tick, Boom so deeply. Um, next one, a little bit odd, Don John and Rocket Man. Interesting. Don John, Don John with um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt? Yes, his directorial debut. I, I did see that one. Uh, and yeah. Rocket Man, the Elton John biopic. Yes, the, be- the best biopic in, in my opinion, because it's because they were like, let's not make all his songs concerts. Let's make them musical numbers. Musical numbers. That's, that was... that's how Elton John saw the world. Yeah, um, that was perfect. Yeah, I was going to uh, combine Tick, Tick, Boom and Rocket Man, but... For me, you know, maybe too much musical, but Don John and Rocket Man, because both of them are about toxic ideals of romance. Um, like specifically with with Rocket Man, um, his ideals of love and what he deserves are so tainted by his trauma, his family, things like that, whatever. Um, and it, and the way he processes it, those those sort of big majestic musical numbers, compared to Don John, there's this great scene where. Um, he kisses uh, Scarlett Johansson's character and, and these lights are all flashing and it looks like a movie, right? And there's a lot of that where he he is so caught up in like the, the idea that, oh, I need to have a woman who is this hot because I watch so much porn that, you know, it, it, both movies are also about addiction, you know, Don John being about porn, Rocketman being about everything else. Um, and, and both movies challenge those ideals of love that are toxically placed in the two main characters um, and masculinity and family. So I think that that all together just makes them kind of a, an interesting double feature. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. I like that. Yeah, I that love one both was those one movies. of my, my favorite ones that I came up with. Yeah. Um, Saving Mr. Banks and the Disaster Artist. Yes, I love that's, it. That's a great double feature. Um, Saving Mr. Banks, I think, is just an incredible movie and not enough people talk about it. Uh, one of Emma Thompson's best roles, one of Tom Hanks' best roles, um, which, uh, of course, for those who don't know, same Mr. Banks being the story of how Walt Disney um, eventually got the agreement of the author of the Mary Poppins book to make the movie about Mary Poppins. Have you seen this movie? Yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah. And of course, and of course, you know, she doesn't want him to Disneyfy Mary Poppins and she doesn't want him to make it a musical or a cartoon, all this stuff. And there's a lot of challenges. And it's also based off of like it flashes back to her own inspirations. So both of these movies, though, this and The Disaster Artist, for me, are about the idea of perception versus intent of, like, when you're making things, you know? Because whether P.L. Travers liked it or not, Mary Poppins became such a big icon for for a lot of people in the same way that it alludes to her being that comfort in her own life to, to recover from her own trauma. Even though she hated what Disney did with it, there's this idea of, like, oh, people love this and people need this same with the disaster artist tell me why so so to make one type of movie and it's it was received so differently so the perception versus the the perception of the audience versus the intent of the artist um and both are now truly beloved both both pl travers and um and tommy wiseau found success with it with those things and i think that that's a really interesting contrast yeah. uh while thematics uh through line that's a, that's a great one i love that one yeah, that one's a, that one I, I was very proud of. Um, and then my last one was uh, Brigsby Bear and Sing Street. Yes. Have you seen Have you seen Brigsby Bear? Yes, that was a good one. Yes. Oh, you watch so many movies. I love it. Um, yeah. Because uh, I was also like, some of these movies are like, I don't know how many people have seen. Um, both these movies, 
like having their focus be on these friends who are making art specifically about trauma and trying to understand it. Um, I know with Sing Street, it's more so that like, oh, he wants to get the girl. But as we as we go on and we see the development of his skills, uh, the main character in Sing Street, we see the development of the skills, his music style, the different tones. And we realize how many of his songs are actually more so about his brother, his mom, his dad, to the, to the point where it's like him processing that trauma through art and his friends who will do anything to have that art be heard. You know, like by the end of the movie, it's just such a welcoming like celebration of of how we recognize like how we how we inspire our own creations uh brigsby bear of course in a completely different sense being this person who who is trying to close off this traumatic thing in his life both of these movies are are comedies for for the listeners both of these movies are generally very funny and very heartwarming they they sound like a lot they're not um but brigsby bear is so fucking good but as brigsby bear um him deciding to make that final episode of Brigsby Bear and, and in, with it, all his friends, including him. And then like the, the idea of letting go of that trauma and, and with Sing Street, the idea of letting go of what's holding you back, like what is holding you back as a person, as an artist, who do you invite in your life to, to help you let go? And how do you express that, that letting go? How do you express that to the world? It, it's um, yeah. Those two, those two, I would, I would leave that double feature and like write a script. Ah, oh, that's awesome. I love it. And going back to like Sing Street, Drive It Like You Stole It is probably one of my favorite Ooh. movie songs. So yeah. good. Oh, the, the, the scene it's in too. Like oh when they're God. showing the, the like fantasy of like, this is what I wish would happen. This is what I wish my life was like. Right. It's so good. That's oh, great. Thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been, it's been great talking to you. Like, Thank you. Yeah, this was a, this is a fun episode to record. Is there anything else you would like to plug before... Uh, we leave today. Any projects you're working on? Any? Um, I'm in a very transitional uh, era where uh, there are some projects being done, some projects being planned, um, an idea of what I'd like to keep doing with TikTok or what I will stop doing with TikTok um, altogether. I'm still trying to figure a lot of things out. So it's very transitional for me. But if you'd like to follow along for answers or you can see my reel or my thoughts about movies, all of my social media is at It's Johnny Rome on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, probably. I don't know. <laughs> but I do have things coming out this year. Oh. This year, there, there will be some. Uh, we've, uh, I have a short film called Cardboard Castles is finally coming out. I'm very excited about that. Nice. Um, and yeah. Thank, thank you again for coming on the show. Thank uh, you. It's been, it's been a great conversation. And uh, for everyone at home, I hope you are not just entertained, but somehow reborn together.